Well, you have been taking a look at the book, the book of Luke. <laughs> Let's have a look at Luke this morning a little bit more. And I'm excited this morning to deliver this message to you uh, from the book of Luke, chapter 2, verses 41 to 50. We're having a look at Jesus, and uh, we're going to read verses 41 through to 52. All right, all together, let's go for it. Every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover, when he was 12 years old, they went up to the festival according to the custom. After the festival was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them, asking them questions. Everyone who heard them was amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why were you searching for me, he asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart. Then Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. What a great portion of scripture this morning. On the life of Jesus when he was a young person. Now, we're going to take a look at the life of Jesus in a period where there's not a lot said about his age from 0 to 12. There's just not a lot in the Bible about that. There's speculation. Uh, I read a book a number of years ago uh, by a more ancient writer uh, who indicated that, you know, there were certain things you can speculate about the life of Christ in those days, but it's not real clear except in this portion of Scripture. All of the other writers of the Gospels did not say anything about this period or did not relate to this story. Only Luke does that for us. Now, at the age 12... Uh, in Hebrew custom, uh, a boy or a girl also wear bar mitzvah. And uh, that was a time, the bar mitzvah was a time which, which meant that a child was coming of age. And it was a coming of age ritual where they were becoming a full-fledged member of the Jewish community. So at the age 12, that happened. And of course, you may have heard the statement before of age of accountability. Age of accountability was considered to be 12, 13 years of age. In other words, a child was then becoming accountable for what they did and for their actions. Uh, 
Prior to that, the parents held responsibility for their actions. Now, in our home and family, we had three children, and I was really happy when I didn't have to take responsibility for all the actions of our, of our children. Uh, my boy drove a motorbike, and who knew where that thing was going to go? And I thought, well, well, you're 12, now you're responsible. You know, you're, you're going to pay the price if you make some mistakes. And, and, you know, there comes a time in life where we must be accountable for our own actions. Turn to somebody and say, we must be accountable for our own actions. Our parents can't be accountable for us forever. And it's just the way life is. And, of course, that was recognized in Hebrew life. Uh, the, the father would give thanks that he would no longer be punished for the child's errors or sins. At that age, they could lead prayer ceremony in the family and they could even lead a prayer ceremony in the community or in the church. Bar mitzvah meant son of commandment or one subject to the law. In other words, they were in agreement with the, with the commands that were given by God. They were led, they were taught up to that point uh, to... to be a son or a daughter of commandment, and they were subject to the law. They were not the law unto themselves. You know, a lot of people are law unto themselves, but they were subject to the law. Or you could say they were subject to the Bible or to the Word of God. A celebration took place around this. It was almost like a graduation that took place. And I, I suppose in some of the traditional churches where they have what they call confirmation, it would be taken from the idea of, of bar mitzvah where a person was now trained and taught and now they were accountable and there was a celebration of that. Now, a lot of this... Uh, there were variations of this depending on the sector in Jewish religion. And, you know, they had different sections. Like we have different denominations in our, in our world today, in the Christian world. They had different sectors or se sections of, of Jewish religion. Uh, there was Orthodox and non-Orthodox, etc., etc. But this, well, what I'm sharing with you this morning, helps to give us the context of what is happening in chapter 2 of Luke. Jesus was an exceptional child. How many of you can say amen to that? And what we see in Jesus, we wish for in every child. Let's look at some of these things. To me, these should be targets in our lives as we are growing up, and it should be uh, goals for us, for our children. Uh, and we find that all of, all of us want to be growing into what God has planned. And this is listed as we look at the life of Jesus from Luke chapter 2. The Bible says, the child grew. Speaking of Jesus, the child grew. Say that with me. The child grew. Nothing worse than seeing someone not growing in life or having stunted growth. 
But in this instance, we read of Jesus, uh, as God had planned, Jesus grew, the child grew, and we, we all want our children to grow. And the Bible goes on to say that he was, he was strong in spirit. That's important, strong. Not only was there physical growth in the life of Jesus, but he was strong in spirit. We're going to talk more about that as we go on. And then furthermore, he was filled with wisdom. You know, there's a difference between wisdom and knowledge. Knowledge is knowledge, but wisdom is knowledge applied in the proper way. Wisdom has the ability to take knowledge and apply it. People perish, we know, for a lack of knowledge, but we also, also struggle in our world because there's a lack of wisdom. However, the goal is wisdom. Solomon asked for wisdom, and God said, you have asked for a good thing, and God gave him wisdom. The Bible teaches us that we should get wisdom. With all of our getting, we should get wisdom. And we should get understanding. Proverbs chapter 1. Number 4, whatever number we're on here, is he was filled with wisdom. And the grace of God was on him. The grace of God was on him. That term grace comes from the Greek word charis. And that word means the divine influence on the heart that has a reflection in the life. You see, when God moves in our hearts by his grace, by his spirit, it works in our heart in such a way that it has a reflection in our life. In other words, it's seen. This work that's going on on the inside of our hearts and lives begins to manifest on the outside. And that's what was happening in the life of Jesus. He was strong in spirit, and the grace of God was on his life. And Jesus was a human being. He was very God, we know, but he was also very man. He was a man uh, as we know a person. And so there, in, in the natural processes of life, he was growing and, and we could say that there was this development that is seen in his life that we all long for, that this divine influence was on his heart, and it was manifest in his life. We know Jesus was sinless, but we also know that he was growing as a person in real life. Let's, let's, let's make that statement together. Grace the divine influence on the heart that has a reflection in the life. How many of you want the grace of God working in your life in that way so powerfully that it's seen on the outside? Can you say amen? Yeah, we want to see God's grace working on the inside, manifesting on the outside. Changed lives is what it's all about. When the grace of God starts to work in our life, uh, there's, there's all the... The fruits of, of being born again, a, a life that has been changed and transformed by the power of the gospel, and it's manifest on the outside. The work of the Holy Spirit is a very powerful thing in our life. If there's anything that should be a priority 
in our lives for 2019, it should be, God, would you work by your spirit in my heart and in my life to become like Jesus Christ? Turn to somebody and say, I want to become like Jesus Christ. That's what the Bible says is, a, is the goal for every one of our lives, to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ having our lives touched and changed by him. Now, as we read further in the book of Luke, we see that there were, there, there were four important dimensions, and uh, we've already touched on one, wisdom, stature. But then I want to talk about two others, and that is in favor with God. In favor with God. To live our lives in such a way that the favor of God is over our lives is a wonderful thing. Knowing that, that the God of the universe, the creator of heaven and earth, is favoring us in everything that we say and do. And there's just this sense of favor. It's a wonderful thing. The priority with the Son of God as an example was favor with God first. Turn to somebody and say, favor with God first. That's the priority. Now we know the second thing we're going to be talking about is uh, in favor with man. That's also important, but this is the highest priority that, that we can go for. And that is favor, having favor with God. Trusting God for his favor. Trusting God for his embrace on what we are doing in our lives. And, and walking with God in such a way that he is overshadowing. And we have that sense of his presence and his favor in our lives. It's a wonderful thing when a church has the favor of God on it. You're not struggling to do it on your own. And I believe that's happening in Thrive these days. A wonderful thing is happening at Thrive. The favor of God is here, I believe. And God's favor is upon you. And you don't want to lose that. And Jesus grew in wisdom, stature, in favor with God. That, that was a growing component of his life. In favor with God. And then, of course, in favor with man. Favor with man is okay, but it's not the benchmark. We are not men pleasers. We don't seek to please men. That's a byproduct of having favor with God. As we have favor with God, then it's as though God opens doors and, and does things that, that makes it so that people are pleased with what is going on in our lives and in our relationship with them. Now back to the, we're going to go back to the story now. Back to the story. Here is Jesus with his parents, and they are at the Passover, the Passover celebration. Passover celebration was a remembrance of what you read about in Exodus chapter 12. 
If you remember the story of Israel's deliverance from Egypt, there were many plagues that came to soften the heart of Pharaoh so that he would let the people of God go into their destiny, into the wilderness, and then ultimately into the promised land. And there were all these plagues that came. And, and of course, these were horrible experiences for, for the people that were subjected to them. And the last, the last plague was the worst because it would the death angel would come and take the firstborn child from every home and the life of that child would be taken and death came to that home except if they took blood from a lamb and put it on the doorpost then God said, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. I will pass over your house. Death will not come to your house. The death angel will have no authority or no power when you put the blood on the doorpost. And so they, there was a lamb for every house. That's what the Bible teaches. There was a lamb for every house, and they, they slew the lamb, took the blood, put it on the doorpost, and there was no danger, no worry, because the blood was their protection. I want to make an application on that this morning, and that is this. When we invite Jesus to come into our lives, and we we view his cross as sufficient work for our salvation, and we put faith in the blood of Jesus, and we say, Jesus, I want your blood to be over my life and over my house, then we are protected from death and destruction. Without it, we are very vulnerable. We are totally vulnerable. That's why we preach the message of salvation in the cross. And if you're here this morning and you've never heard the story of Jesus before and the story of the fact that Jesus went to the cross, you might say you might have heard the story uh, remotely and heard the fact that, you know, Jesus died on a cross. What's that all about? That, this is what it's all about. He shed his blood for our protection for our salvation, so we could be free from sin and free from death. Where sin is, death is. The wages for sin is death. That the gift of God is, of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So the Passover is a wonderful story of Israel coming out of Egypt before they came out of Egypt, there was this threat of death, but if they put the blood on the doorpost, God said, I'm going to pass over you, and it was Israel's deliverance from Egypt. That's what happened. They were delivered from Egypt because they had the blood on the doorpost. Turn to somebody and say, I want the blood on my doorpost. See, that's your covering. It's my covering. Without the blood of Jesus... 
There is no hope. There is no salvation. Our works cannot save us. Nothing we do can save us. We can do all kinds of nice things, but that does not save us. It's only the blood that is our protection from eternal death and damnation. Thank God for Jesus. Can you say that with me? Thank God for Jesus. Say it again. Thank God for Jesus. So it's at this time that they are at the, the parents with Jesus have gone to Jerusalem for the Passover feast. He said, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. The death angel will pass over. Death will pass over. And life will be preserved. And freedom will come. And we're delivered into the purposes of God. You see, it was quite a celebration for them. When they, 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 they were commanded by God to, to keep this celebration every year. And they would travel from far and near to that celebration because it was so important. This morning, we're going to, a little bit later in the service, as we conclude the service today, we're going to celebrate the communion. And the communion which is left for us by Jesus is something that we are to remember and commemorate because it is the most important, the most important memory we can hold in Christianity. And that is the fact that Jesus went to the cross. He shed his blood for our freedom and for our salvation. It's a wonderful thing. We'll talk more about it just a little bit later. So, they are at this Passover feast. And, uh, and, and then the time comes to go home. And they are on the journey for quite some time. And uh, they, they look for Jesus, and Jesus is nowhere to be found. And you say, how in the world could something like this happen? There's a company of people that are traveling together, and, and they look around, and Mary, his mother, in verses 44 and 45, gets very upset. Where is Jesus? And they looked, they, they sought for him among the crowd, and he's not there. I, I look at this story and I think, you know, how could, how could that be? Can you imagine getting into your car and, and uh, driving for a, a day or two and, and then you discover that one of your children's not there? <laughs> that seems a little far out, doesn't it? But there was a crowd of them and I guess they just assumed, you know, that Jesus was there in the crowd, but he wasn't. And you, you think that, you know, was, was Jesus maybe a little bit rebellious? Well, you've got to realize he's at that age now of accountability for his own life. So he's, he's kind of on his own in a way. And, you know, there's quite a, quite a challenge in that transition period of life when children get to be of age but they're still in the family and where you know where do things change uh, 
like, uh, you know, it's those teen years that parents and children have struggled with because, you know, this, there's this transition that's taking place where a child comes to independence while they respect their parents and they should be respecting their parents there is this place of independence and parents don't know sometimes when to let go or where to hang on and, and so the struggles are there sometimes in the family because you're in this place and this seemingly is is manifest in this story with jesus and I don't believe that Jesus sinned by what he was doing. He was taking his stand now as a young man. And uh, he's with the doctors and the teachers in the temple. In the temple. Interesting where Jesus went. If he is starting to become independent, it's interesting to know where he went with his independence. Didn't go to the shopping mall, hello? He wasn't on the sports field, wasn't in the hockey arena. Where was he? He was in the temple. Can I say to you, young people here, be a follower of Jesus, and in your becoming more independent in your life, be in the temple. Be in the presence of God. Be in the house of the Lord. That's a safe place to be. And that's the right place to be. I find it very interesting. There's a lot of things you could look at here. But there's one thing that as I was studying this, I saw, you know, there wasn't a generation gap between Jesus and the next generation. I believe as we are doing things in the will of God, there are no gaps between the generations. It's not, oh, they're old people. We have nothing to do with them. And we're young. We're smart. We know where it's at. You know, this is the now generation. No, that wasn't happening. Jesus was conversing. He was conversing with, with the teachers, with those who had their doctorate. And, and they were amazed at the wisdom and and the skill with which he presented himself. They were astonished at his understanding and his answers because he could relate well. Somehow there was the right stuff going on in the life of Jesus. And, of course, we know he's, he's the perfect one. He's the son of God. He's the great example. There's none greater than Jesus. Can you say amen? And he's astonishing the people. But Mary comes back to him and says, why have you done this? And Jesus is saying in response, why have you looked for me? They're kind of missing each other there just a little bit. Why have you looked for me? Verse 49. And in the King James translation, it's put like this. He said, I must be about my father's business. Wow. I must be about my father's. I must be doing my father's business. 
Now just think of this. He's a, he's a young man, 12 years old, but he's got a grip on life and he's got a grip on purpose and he's got a grip on destiny and he knew where it was at. He needed to be pleasing the Father. Jesus made the sta statement once. He says, I do only those things that please the Father. Whatever I see the Father doing, that's what I do. And at the age of 12... There is this maturity in his life. He is truly a son of the commandment. He is truly a son that is to be reckoned with and honored and, and set up as an example. Jesus is a young man, but he's now celebrated his bar mitzvah. And he is about his father's business. You see, growing and developing is with the purpose of doing the Father's business. Hello. Growing and developing is with the purpose of doing Father's business. Why do we grow up? To do our own thing? To go our own way? No. According to the example of Jesus, growing and development is with the purpose of doing daddy's business, doing father's business. I challenge the young people, all of you young people here today, start out with the mindset that I want, I want to do my father's business. I want to please God in everything I do. Jesus was bent on that as a young man. Paul taught Timothy, he said, as a young, young man, you be an example to the believers in charity, in doctrine. Be like Jesus. Jesus had his, had his teachings straight. He, he was able to converse with, with the teachers of the day. He had his head right and he had his heart right. And he was growing in the dimensions that he was to be growing in. With Jesus, it wasn't. It's, now it's, it's party time. Hey, I'm in university, I'm in college, hey, I'm going to learn a few things, but hey, the, the least I can learn is great, but I'm going to have a party. I tell you, there's a lot of young people in our world today that are living the prodigal life and they're messing up their whole future. They're missing out. There's no better place to be involved than in God's business and in God's house. Remember, Jesus went and he was in the house of God as they were journeying home. There was nothing to be worried about with Jesus. He was in the right place. He was in the right presence, and, and he had the right purpose. His purpose was to do his father's business. He wasn't wasting his time, and there was a must in his life. It was very urgent with him. There were musts that governed the life of Jesus. He, he didn't have a boring life. He lived his life on purpose. He said, I must be about my father's business. He was father business driven. In our own lives, my wife and I were privileged to grow up under parents that released us, they, they established us in the things of God, and then they released us to be who God called us to be. 
And when Sandra and I were young, we left our father and mother. This might really be strange. When sounds strange to some of you, but when I was 16 and 17 years of age, I was starting to preach the gospel with my wife on native reservations in Canada. <clears throat> That's, that was our life together. That was our friendship together. It was in the gospel. Our first date was to a gospel camp. It wasn't to a movie. It was to a gospel camp. And uh, there we deepened our relationship, and it went from there. And then her, her elder brother was involved in mission work and uh, challenged us to get involved. And so we got involved with mission work. And our whole life and relationship was built around the gospel, was built around doing the Father's business. I must be about my Father's business. And when we were just in our early 20s, we went into the city of Prince George to establish a church. <laughs> some, of you, some people will look at you, just, you're like, I mean, you're just in your early 20s and you're doing this. And we left our parents a thousand miles behind. We left all of our relatives. We went to a city where we really didn't know anybody. We had no friends. And at first, my wife cried. It was hard for her. She said, I left all my friends and all my relatives behind. I have nobody. But we got this little one-year-old baby, and, and we were there. But there was something on the inside of us that said, you know what? We've got to be doing our father's business. And, you know, like Luke chapter, I believe it's Luke chapter 10 says, those who have left houses and lands and relatives for the sake of the gospel, they will get multiplied friends. They'll get, they'll get all these things back a hundredfold. And I, I challenge you as young people today, make your business to be the Father's business. Do God's business. Do business for God. Live your life for God. Be like Jesus Christ. Say, I must be about my Father's business. I must be doing my Father's business. Sandra's father, when we made the big move all the way from the Regina area into northern central British Columbia to do what we did for 43 years, when he was driving, helping us move, he was shaking his head. Where are these young kids headed to? This is, this, you've got to be insane because there's no people. There's only bush and, you know, nothing until you come to the city. Of course, it changes, but miles and miles and kilometers and kilometers of, of, of space there, nothing there, so separated from our family. But we have no regrets. We have absolutely no regrets. We have been so blessed. And then in our later years, we, we came here uh, almost five years ago now and uh, really didn't know anybody here. It's strange how God has left our lives to, to, to go where people are strangers. They're all strangers to us. We're strangers to them. But now we have wonderful friendships. 
We got Thrive Church. Wow. <laughs> Turn to somebody and say, we got Thrive Church. And some of you might be lonely here this morning and feeling, oh, man, did I miss it? Hey, if you're doing your father's business, if you're in this because it's God's business and you're wanting to please God, you'll be okay. You'll be blessed. And multiplied blessings will come back to you. Multiplied friends will come back to you. Sandra and I have friends all over the world. This morning I received a, an invitation to another country. And many of you know that we travel to many countries. And country that I haven't been in for a few years. And in, in actually last night and this morning I had two responses to a communication uh, about us being in their region and they both instances they said you know we need a father in our life uh, would you be a father to us as we are pastoring and leading we got these kind of friends all over the world now because we decided the most important thing in our life was being about our father's business growing and developing is with the purpose a father's business, doing the business that God has called us to do. Jesus said, I must. Jesus said a, a lot of things he must do. He, says, I, he said, I'm the, I, I must preach the gospel. I must publish the gospel. I must work the works while, of him that sent me while it's day. He, he says, other sheep are out there beyond Israel. He says, I must bring them. He says, I must die and I must rise again. There were a lot of driving musts in the life of Jesus. And as a 12-year-old boy, he was already saying, I must. There's certain things I must do. I must be about my father's business. I have grown and will keep growing to do my father's business. You know, I was thinking about some things about business people. Great business people are this way. I know there's some business people among us here, but all of us should be business people for God, doing his business. Great, great business people are, they're learners. They're well-ordered. They're hard-working. Hard they're wise. They're competitive. They're honest. They're early risers. They advertise their product. Our greatest product is Jesus Christ, and we advertise him wherever we can excellence, high productivity, good PR, growing all the time, growing, investing and sowing, a desire to help others. And there are others, you know, great business people are forgivers. Part of our life was business because we had to because we had no other source of income while you're establishing a church, so we had businesses. And I had to learn to forgive in business. Some people owed me a lot of money and they wouldn't pay. I say, what am I going to do? You know, can't get, like they say, you can't get blood out of a stone. So you got to forgive. You know what? Jesus was awesome. One of the final words he said from the cross was, Father, forgive them. We're going to be about our Father's business. We're going to be forgiving people. 
going to do business the right way. We're going to do it the Jesus way. We must be about our Father's business. In business, you, oh, yeah, there's room for prosperity and increase and all that. But I'll tell you, along the way, you take a lot of losses and a lot of hits. Almost all great business people have been hit hard at some time, wondering if they're going to survive. And Jesus was hit really hard on the cross, but he survived. He rose from the dead, and he offers us life eternal and wonderful. So in conclusion today, like Jesus, we're going to grow in all areas to do God's business in 2019. Just take a moment to bow our heads. I'd like to pray. Maybe you're here this, this morning. This thing, whole thing about Jesus is very strange to you. You never understood what he's all about, but Jesus came to give you life. He came to give you life abundant. And you're not here by accident this morning. You're here by appointment. And I'm asking you today to open your heart to Jesus and allow him to come in. If you're, that's you here this morning, I'm going to ask you, without embarrassing you all, everybody's just praying and everyone's eyes are closed. You're here this morning and you, you know you need Jesus in your life. You need a Savior. Would you raise your hand? I'd like to, I'd like to acknowledge you and pray for you this morning. Yes, thank you. Any others? You know you need Jesus. Yes, yes, thank you. Thank you for being so brave. Others? Yes. I'm going to ask all of us to say this prayer this morning. Say this prayer with me. Stand. Maybe you could stand. All of you would just stand. Could all of us just say this prayer? Dear Jesus, I thank you for coming to earth. I thank you for setting an example. And I thank you most of all that you've come to be our Savior. You came to seek and to save those who are lost. And today I am lost in my life. And I need a Savior. I need you, Jesus. I invite you into my heart. Save me. Cleanse me from sin. Make me a new person. Give me great purpose. I want to be about my father's business. In Jesus' name. Let's give the Lord a hand this morning. Let's give him a shout of praise.